The point of this weekend's service has, and, and events has been about remembering. All about remembering. Starting Friday night with our Good Friday service at, at our house, uh, which was an amazing time. I, it was intimate and intense, and uh, I just think it was very focused and special. Uh, but it's been about remembering. Remembering, starting with remembering the crucifixion. Remembering the suffering that our Savior endured, remembering the, the blood that was spilled for us. And Jesus had ridden into the town of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and he was greeted with the cheers and praises of the people there. He rode in on this donkey, and they're waving palm fronds and laying them down on the ground in front of him so that as he enters into Jerusalem, they're, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And see, they, they greeted him with a king's greeting. They greeted him in a way that was, uh, was reserved for only the most special of people. Hosanna. The, the, the meaning of that word, you know, it, it's lost on us many times. We sing songs with it in it. We, we say it maybe. Uh, we, we read it. But the intentional meaning, the, the, the original meaning was, please save us. It was a, a, a desire, a, a request. Please save us. But it's thought generally that by the time Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, by the time in, in, in history that it was at, that they were truly proclaiming that salvation had come, as they said that. So truly, as he entered into the, into the city, they were saying, salvation is here. Salvation is here. Because of he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. The crowd was fickle. They were easily swayed. Because just one short week later, these same people who, who cheered him on and, and who greeted him with the king's greeting and recognized his authority stood in front of the Roman procurator named Pontius Pilate. And cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted him killed. They wanted him gone and done. And the amazing thing is, is that this, this man who had received a king's greeting, do you know what they accused him of and the charge that stuck? That he was a king. By all human perspectives, we understand that God had a much bigger, much broader plan in what he was doing through Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. But by all human perspectives, the charge that stuck, the charge that sent him to the cross was that he had claimed to be a king. We know this because as the Romans took him in and beat him and scourged him, they mocked him. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. And they made a crown of thorns and they pressed it on his head. And they wrapped him in a purple robe signifying his, his royalty. And they bowed before him, mocking him. And they present him to the people and Pontius Pilate cries out to the people, Should I crucify your king? And their response was, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so as they hung him on the cross that day, 
at fateful Friday. They hung above him a sign that said, The King of the Jews, so that everyone would know why he was being condemned, why he was being killed. And if he was a normal king, if he was a king that had a kingdom like every other king, that would have been the end of it. That would have been the end of his legacy, the end of his rule, the end of his era. But the great news is, is that that's not the end of the story. And so today, I want you to continue remembering. I I don't want to overlook what we've remembered to date. I don't want to overlook what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But I want us to remember that it didn't end on Friday. Sunday was coming. You see, the amazing thing about Jesus is that after he was crucified and put in the grave, the reason we remember him today is because three days later he rose. Now, I grew up in a tradition that, at least in my perspective, whether this is exactly right or not, emphasized the cross over everything else. And, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to take away from the cross. I don't want to downplay the cross. But just imagine, this is not the only crucifixion that happened in history. Jesus was not the only man crucified. Thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people as Rome ruled and as, their, as, as they had the empire that, that kind of controlled things in their time, that was the way that they condemned all kinds of people to death. It was normal to see executions like that. But we remember only three. And the reason we remember two of those two criminals is because they happened to be crucified on each side of Christ. You see, we remember his crucifixion because of his resurrection. In my estimation, in, in, in my opinion, it's not that we should downplay the cross. I mean, that's where the, the work of forgiveness and justification was completed. That's where the work of atonement was done. The cross is extremely important and central to our faith. But without the resurrection, it's incomplete and empty. You see, if Jesus had just been another guy being crucified and just, had, had just went into the grave and stayed there and was dead, we likely wouldn't remember him at all. In fact, if he had a grave that could be pointed to, if he had a place that we could go to and see his bones and, and understand that he's still in the ground dead, we'd have no reason to go. We'd have no desire to go. People wouldn't want to go. But the reason that we celebrate today, even 2,000 years later, is because they found the tomb empty that morning. Because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He died. And he rose to life again. And see, as Paul taught, Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 15 in the early church, he was dealing with this. He was dealing with these people who didn't believe. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 today, in fact. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. 
He was dealing with these people who didn't believe in the, in the resurrection of the body. They didn't believe in a physical resurrection. I don't know what they thought happened after this life. I don't know whether they thought that that was just it or that it was a spiritual life afterwards and that there was no physical being after this life that was just going to be spiritual and, you know, we were really going to float around on clouds and, and see angels flying around with harps and things like that. I don't know what their picture was or what their expectation was. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul points out not only the error of their thinking, but he points out how important the cross is in light of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is the most important and significant event in all of history. Not because a better work was done there than the cross, but because in the resurrection, the cross was completed. In the resurrection, the work was, was ongoing and continuing. And today, as we focus on this, I hope that you will be encouraged and enamored again with your Savior. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. Or I'm sorry, in verse 13. I looked at that and I thought, well, that's not right. It's later. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, he's saying that if, if, if the resurrection is not real, then even the crucifixion didn't complete its work. You're still in your sins. If Christ is dead, you're lost. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. In this passage, there's several things Paul's pointing out. Paul's letting us know that in his resurrection, Christ's teaching was confirmed. It was made to be seen to be true. He says, he says hey, if, we, if, if Christ is still dead, if he's not resurrected, if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. It's empty, it's useless, it's worthless. Their preaching was Christ's teaching. The things that they were proclaiming in his name were the things that they had heard from Him, the things that they had been taught by Him. And so it can be easily inferred that we can see that easily that if their preaching is useless and actually misrepresenting or telling lies about God, then Jesus' teaching Himself was empty and useless. So many people want to say, oh, He was a good teacher. He had great things to say. 
But if he's dead in the grave, then he was a lunatic. Not worth following and not worth remembering. I mean, if he was dead in the grave, there would be no sense in remembering things like from John 6, 35, that says, when he says that he is the bread of life and that whoever trusts in him would never be hungry and whoever believes in him would never thirst again. We might as well throw that out because it's useless. If he's dead in the grave when he taught that we didn't need to be anxious, and that we, we could seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other would be added. When, when he taught that in Matthew 6, we, we could ignore it. Because it was meaningless. And he had no power and he had no control and there's plenty of reason then to be anxious. If he's dead in the grave, when he taught the parables of the man with two sons, we call it the prodigal son. When he taught the parable of the man with two sons, the parable of the farmer sowing in the four soils, the the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of of the unforgiving servant, we wouldn't have doctrine to learn. We wouldn't have, have, have wisdom to gain. They would just be stories. If Jesus was dead in the grave, when he taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. When he taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he was the way, the only way to God the Father, that he was the the foundation and the substance of absolute, undeniable, unchanging truth, that he was the source of life, we could ignore it. And then we could say all roads lead to God, but we don't need him. You see, if Jesus was dead in the ground and there was no resurrection, when he taught that the disciples were to go and make other disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they were to teach the new disciples to obey the commands that he had given, and that they were to teach the new disciples, and that they were to teach the new disciples, and that they were to teach the new disciples... There'd be no responsibility to teach anything. But on that Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday morning, the women came to the grave and they found it empty. And as Mary was in the garden and she was crying and weeping because she thought that they had stolen his body, he appeared to her. And he showed himself in the flesh. And she grabbed hold of his feet and he says, Go, tell my, my, my disciples, tell my people that I've risen. And he appears to the disciples as they've gathered that morning and they are scared and confused and they don't know what's going on. And he appears right among them. He says, peace be with you. See, he's alive. And he shows himself the next week when when Thomas is there after Thomas had doubted. Thomas hadn't been there at that first appearance. And Thomas had doubted. And and he's like, if I can't see him, if I can't touch him, if I can't put my hand in the hole in his side and and see the the holes in his hands, I wouldn't believe. And Jesus pops up in front of them in that moment and he says, look here. Look. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas sees him in the flesh. And he says, falls on his knees in worship and says, My God and my Savior. Or my Lord and my God. 
Because Jesus is risen. Because He's alive today. When He said, come to Me and, 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 and I'm the bread of life and He who believes in Me will never thirst again. We can trust that. We can know that it's real and right. That He's the source of sustenance. And He's our refreshment. We can see that in the parables, all of His parables, we can find doctrine worthy to build our lives and beliefs and our trust in Him out of. We can find wisdom given to us when He taught us that He was the way, the truth, and the life. That only He is our hope for life. That only He can give us eternal life. And that when He gave the command to to, to go and tell and to baptize and to demand obedience, it was a command expected to be obeyed. And a man who's come back from the dead, I think, has the authority to tell us to obey. You see, in his resurrection, his teachings, and therefore the apostles' teachings, and therefore this teaching, has power and meaning and is right and true. His teachings are confirmed. In his resurrection, his offer, Christ's offer of eternal life, His offer of eternal life is substantiated. Paul writes that if Christ is not alive in the flesh, that there is no hope of life in in, in the life to come. In in fact, if Jesus is still dead, all those that have died in Christ are really dead. He says that if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't resurrected. He says in, in chapter 15 here, he says that the people that have died in Christ have perished. And the word that we translate perished means fully destroyed, out of existence, nothing left. But because Christ is alive and the resurrection is real and true, there is hope of eternal life. There is hope of a resurrection and a connection, a redemption from sin and a a, a reconciliation to our Creator. An eternal life with Him. Because indeed Christ is risen. He's alive. His call for us to trust in Him for eternal life, it's not going to disappoint us. We're we're not going to feel let down. We're not going to wish we had done something different. We're not going to look back and regret having trusted Him. But if he was still dead, Paul says that in our trust for this, in our hope of this, in our longing for it and looking forward to it, Paul says that in that, if Christ was still dead, we're to be pitied above all men. Because if Christ is dead, if he did not rise from the grave, there's no reason to face ridicule for our beliefs. There's no reason to endure living a holy life. Or there's no reason for us to to withstand temptation. You see, if Christ is dead, we might as well give up and do what we're going to do. In fact, Paul says just a little later in the passage. He says just a little later in the passage, if, if he's dead, why in the world do we face danger? Why did I go into Ephesus and face beasts? He's speaking in a literal sense. Why? Why do this? If Christ is dead, we might as well eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. 
If Christ is dead, today's the only day that matters. There's no reason to come here on a Sunday morning and rant and listen to someone rant and go on about how great Jesus was. If Christ is dead, there's no reason to waste our time. If Christ is dead, we give it up and we go on and we do our thing. We don't have to love our wives and we don't have to, have to love our husbands and we don't, have to, we don't have to strive to live as an example and we don't have to worry about how we spend our money. We just do what we want to do. <laughs> but indeed, Christ is alive. And it makes the efforts worthwhile. And it makes the call to live a holy life and to do the right thing, to to face ridicule for our faith, to to, to stand and and proclaim the message, no matter what the consequence. It makes it all worthwhile. It makes it meaningful. If Christ were dead, we would be people to be pitied. But because Christ is alive, We have great reason to celebrate. Because Christ is alive. There is no better place to be on a Sunday morning than to be gathered with his people, his followers, those who trust in him, who look to his resurrection for hope. Being in a place gathered with them, listening to someone. Listening to someone speak about and proclaim not just how great Jesus was, but how great Jesus is. Because he's not something that used to be. He's something that is right now and always will be. You see, that's the power of the resurrection. That's the hope we have in it. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the work it does now. It solidifies his teaching. It makes it. It confirms it. And his resurrection, it substantiates his offer of eternal life. And in his resurrection... His work continues. In His resurrection, Christ's work continues. Paul tells us in this passage from 1 Corinthians 15 that He is the first fruits, signifying that there are fruits that come after. Signifying that there's something more to be seen, something more, more, more to be done. Because He's alive, we not only have the, the, the hope of physical, eternal life, But in His name, by His authority, by His command, we can offer eternal life. You see, because Jesus is alive, when we tell people that He's alive and that they can trust in Him and have eternal life, that is not an empty promise. It's not empty words. They're not meaningless. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. it's, It's how God brings life. Substantial and meaningful. In his resurrection, Christ's work continues. You see, the work didn't start the moment that Christ died on the cross. God had been redeeming and reconciling and forgiving sins. He'd been doing that work since the fall of man. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us, let me just read it to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, it tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's verse 4. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And before he even ever said, let there be light, God knew you. He knew who you were. And if you're sitting here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because he chose you before he ever said, let there be light, before he ever formed the first man, before he'd ever done the first work. God was already about redeeming his people. God was already about choosing them unto salvation. God was already about saving people. And as Jesus came, it just fit into the plan of God. It was the plan of God. And as he died, it wasn't as he was being defeated. It wasn't as if all was lost. It was all part of the plan. Because had he not died, he couldn't have risen. And had he stayed dead, nothing would have mattered. But because Jesus is alive, the plan of God goes on. And the plan of God provides victory. You see, in his resurrection, Christ's teachings are confirmed. In his resurrection, the offer of eternal life is substantiated. In his resurrection, his work continues on. And it's been given for us to do. You see, God saves us through Him and to Him. And He sends us to tell others that He saves people through Christ, by Christ, for Christ. All that we can be reunited and reconnected and reconciled to our our Creator. And in His resurrection... His kingdom is revealed. And Paul tells us that, that as, as he's resurrected, well, let me just read it again. Oh, I didn't actually read it. Let me read verse 24 and 25. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every other authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, we see Paul talking about this kingdom. We see Paul talking about the authority of Jesus Christ and recognizing that he is the king of a kingdom. The Jews were right. They were right. When they proclaimed him coming into the city as a king, they were right to do so. When they stood before Pontius Pilate and said he claims to be a king, they were right to do so. When Pontius Pilate stood out and he cried to the crowd, should I crucify your king? He was right to call him that. He does have a kingdom, but not like a kingdom we see. In fact, much of his teaching was on the kingdom of God. Much of his teaching was on the kingdom of heaven. But it's not a kingdom built by men. It's not like you can walk around and find castles and walls and moats. It's not a kingdom with with, with physical boundaries. It's not like you can look on a map and see the borders of his kingdom. You, You can't see where there's outposts that protect those borders. It's not a kingdom that 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 looks outwardly in that way. It's not a kingdom of physical wealth. It's not it's not built by the the money and and, and the stuff that that, uh, that makes it. There's no crown jewels other than Jesus Christ Himself. You see, the kingdom 
is a kingdom that was built by God. It was established by God. He's the one that sets its boundaries. He's the one that establishes its foundations. He's the one that that brings it into being. It's a kingdom that belongs to God. There's no man that can lay claim to it. There's no, no war to fight over this. At least not from a human perspective. At least not not in the way we look at things. There's a war going on, but it's going to be lost because there's nothing that can stop the movement of this kingdom. It's it's, It's not a kingdom like we see. It's a kingdom that's ruled by God. He's the one with the authority. He's the one that gets to say how it will be. He's the one who gets to say who comes in. He's the one who gets to say how they'll come in. It's a kingdom secured by God. And the way that he secured it was by the death, burial, and resurrection of his only son. You see, he made it all possible by sending his son to die on the cross that he may raise from the grave and give us the hope of eternal life. See, Jesus is our king. He is a king to be honored and adored and recognized as sovereign ruler. He's a kingdom. He's the king of a kingdom that will be everlasting. He's the king that gets to demand our followhood, our followership. He's the king. There was a pastor, I, I, suddenly I can't remember his name, and I didn't write it down. I think it's S.M. Lockwood, who preached a message on Jesus being a king. And rather than me try to do it, I mean, there's something special about the way he did it. I love it. I just want you to hear it. So there's a video to share. Just listen to what he has to say. My king. Do you know him? You see, I don't want you to come into Easter or to live your life just remembering the crucifixion, but also remembering the resurrection. I don't want you to to come into Easter just remembering what appeared to be his defeat, but also remembering his overwhelming victory. I don't want you to come into Easter just remembering the horror of Friday but to remember also the hope of Sunday. You see, in it, his teaching was confirmed. His offer of life was substantiated. He he couldn't be undone. He couldn't be beaten. Is he your king? You see, as a king, he gets to say, follow me. Submit to me. Obey me. It's easy for us to come into a church and and think those things with our mind and to to just assume them because of traditions we followed. But do you recognize him as your king? See, our hope is Because of the resurrection, our hope is more than wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. 
Because we can remember not only the death of our Savior, but we can also know that our King is alive. And He rules and reigns. You see, the great news is that His promise, that He's gone to prepare a place and that He will come back, is true. And we don't look at a king that was, we look at a king that is and will be. We look to a king who's coming back, who will return. Do you recognize his reign in this world? Do you recognize his reign in your life? Do you trust in him alone and submit your life before him? Maybe you've been doing that for some time. Maybe you're a long-time Christian, a long-time believer. But every one of us struggles with desiring to be in control and to be the king of our own lives. We want to say what goes. We want to say what we're going to do. We like to rule ourselves. I would encourage you to look into your life and purge it. Look into those areas that you've segmented off. Okay, I'm good on Sunday morning. That, that belongs to Jesus. What about the other six days of your life? Will you submit to his rule? Do you submit to his rule? Whether you've been a long-time believer or you're a new believer, there are great things to remember. He died for you. And he lives for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful. We are grateful because your resurrection proves to us that you are a present reality. That you are the real deal. That your teaching is true. Your offer of life is real. It's true. Your kingdom is real. It exists and will continue and be everlasting. And your work continues. We thank you for the hope that we have because of what you've done. We thank you that you finished it. That you paid our price. You atoned our sin. We are sorry that you had to endure that for us. But we are grateful that you chose to. And we are grateful that you could not be defeated by death. But that in your rule, in your power, you rose from the grave. And that we no longer worship or think of some dead guy in the ground, but a ruling king. Father, thank you for sending your son for doing this work. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we come to a place where we respond. I don't know how you need to respond. I don't know what the Lord might be doing. We're going to sing and we're going to worship. We're going to praise God for the work that He's done. Don't hold back. Let your emotions flow. Be excited. There's great reason to be excited. This is better than your favorite team in the Super Bowl. It's better than the World Cup. It's better than having your first baby. It's better than any other moment in life. 
Jesus Christ is alive and should be celebrated, deserves to be celebrated. So as we sing, I I encourage you to let it fly. And when you leave out of this place, continue celebrating and honoring him in all that you do, in the words that you say, the way that you live. However you need to respond, do it now.